I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Mitochondria, the powerhouses of the cell, play a critical role in a range of rare and common diseases. Retrotope, a development stage company, thinks it's found a way to repair the damage done by various disease processes to mitochondria. The company is just concluding an early stage trial of its experimental therapy to treat the rare disease Friedrich's ataxia. We spoke to Harry Saul, chairman of Retrotope, and Bob Molinari, CEO of the company, about mitochondrial diseases, the approach the company is taking, and why its work may have broad implications for a wide range of degenerative diseases. Bob, Harry, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to talk about Retrotope, your experimental therapy for Friedrich's ataxia and the the broad implications of more common diseases in your approach to FA, I'd like to keep today's discussion accessible to a non-scientific audience, but I'd like to start with mitochondria, what's often referred to as the powerhouse of the cells. Can you explain what mitochondria are and what they do? Uh, Sure. This is Bob. I'll start. Um, So there are a, a, a mitochondria is an organelle within the cell. Uh, it actually has its own membrane. It has its own uh, DNA that's different from the DNA of the nucleus. Um, and it generates, it's, it's, a, it's a highly folded membrane structure. And that membrane actually creates uh, energy in the form of ATP by burning oxygen. So indeed, it is the powerhouse of the cell. And in, for example, high energy tissues like muscles and heart and brain and retina, there are, you know, hundreds to even a few thousand such of organelles in each cell. As I understand it, in, in the process of converting oxygen to ATP, there's leakage of oxygen, a, a process that can damage the membrane, the, the walls of the mitochondria. People may be familiar with the term oxidative stress, and, and normally the body is able to repair this damage. What is this membrane made out of, and, and what happens during this process? So the membrane is made out of, uh, as most membranes are, a fatty acid bilayer. Uh, also called a lipid bilayer. And that lipid basically is hydrophobic. It doesn't like water. So it actually separates the, uh, the boundaries of the cell, the cell's aqueous pieces from each other. And the membrane is very, very complex. It contains embedded proteins. It contains different types of fats. And one specific type of fat that it contains is what's called a a polyunsaturated fatty acid. That means it has many double bonds, and you probably know about them more generically as the omega-3 and omega-6 fats that we hear so much about. Those fats actually create what's called fluidity in the membrane, 
and allow the molecules to move around so that, you know, ion channels can be created in the membrane, electrons can pass through, proteins can embed in it, and other functional complexes that are required uh, for that membrane to function are mediated by the ability of these, quote, liquid fats to create the mobility within the molecules to sort of move aside and do that. And that complex structure then is directly involved in the electron chain transport that, that causes ADP to be formed into ATP, which is the energy sort of battery or any energy storage house of the cell. In mitochondrial diseases, what happens to the mitochondria? Well, it turns out that the, the problem, as, as people are generally aware, has to do with oxidation, largely. Uh, that, uh, you know, we, we need oxygen in order to, con to be converted into the energy that our body uses. But uh, this system, while incredibly efficient, uh, converts perhaps 98% of the oxygen into energy and roughly 2% is not converted and forms molecules which are actually very destructive. Oxygen in the form of a free radical uh, essentially can uh, affect the lipid layer in a way that's highly destructive. And this appears to be a common phenomenon in many diseases uh, which may have a genetic origin, which may have some other toxic insult, uh, perhaps even aging itself, um, ends up in a situation where the body can no longer deal with uh, the level of oxidation that is occurring to the lipid membrane. So normally, in the normal state, someone who's healthy, you constantly have a certain level of turnover of the lipids due to oxidative stress, and your body can cope with that level. But we know for mitochondrial diseases, and if we take Friedrichs as an example, in the case of Friedrichs, we believe that the amount of oxidative stress on the mitochondrial surface is probably 10 or more times the level found in normal individuals. And at that point, the body can no longer cope with that level of oxidative stress, and that's when it becomes a disease state. The numbers are pretty profound. I believe in the brain, which is a very high energy tissue, something in the nature of 25% of the brain energy goes into repairing and recycling these phospholipids. And what Harry said is very much the case, and that is the disease state is a matter of degree. You can cope with a certain amount of that. Over the course of a lifetime, you still accumulate lots of damage, and maybe that's why one of the reasons why we age. But when you have a disease state, and particularly Friedrich's ataxia, the orphan disease we're treating, you start off with something around tenfold the amount of these uh, uh, lipid peroxidation damage. And that is an autocatalytic spiral down, downward. Well, your lead therapeutic is for Friedrich's. What exactly is Friedrich's? How, how does the disease progress? So Friedrichs is a genetic uh, disease. It's an expanding repeat of a section of uh, intron of a gene. Um, and that means that when that 
disease takes over genetically, you get a very, very low level of a specific protein that gene makes called frataxin. The role of frataxin is to assemble in the mitochondrial membrane a thing called iron sulfur clusters that are one of the many complexes that occurs in the uh, mitochondrial membrane to exchange electrons around. And when you have too low amounts of frataxin, you wind up having a misregulation of iron, and there's free iron on the inner surface of the mitochondria. And that is a very potent catalyst of this type of lipid peroxidation. You ask about Friedrich, the disease itself is typically diagnosed in teen years when uh, kids start getting clumsy and they start, uh, you know, falling and not being able to sort of control their limbs properly. Um, it's a definitive genetic diagnosis, so it's uh, the, the gene is understood and known. And uh, over the course of the next 10 years or so, they deteriorate in terms of muscle uh, uh, control and wind up uh, in wheelchairs generally on average by the age of 25. And this is a whole body disease, so it's not just a neuropathy, uh, but it's a loss of energy across all the high energy tissues. And by 35, uh, on average, they die of cardiomyopathy, which is essentially, uh, you know, a heart failure. What exactly does your experimental therapy do? Well, it's really something quite innovative. I want to stress it's uh, very, very different than any approach that's ever been tried before. People uh, have understood that these very high levels of oxidative stress uh, occurs in Friedrichs and have tried various ways to increase the amount of antioxidants uh, that are that are in our system, that are in our mitochondrial layers. Uh, things like vitamin E produce that, and various other artificial forms and various proteins and things involved in the pathways have been attempted to increase the amount of antioxidant in the mitochondria. The problem, however, is that when faced with a tenfold or more increase in the rate of oxidation, it doesn't seem to be any way to match that with something close to, say, 10 times as much antioxidants in the system. So Retrotope has taken a quite a different approach. And what we've found is that by making a very small change in just the right place in the molecules of the lipids that we eat, the polyunsaturated fats that are part of our diet, we can create a form of the lipid molecule which resists oxidative stress. And experimentally, that's been measured by factors as high as 20-fold stronger than the standard lipid molecule. On the other hand, the change is what's called an isotopic change, which means that precisely, in this case, two very specific hydrogen atoms that are part of the molecule are changed to deuterium, which is hydrogen with one extra neutron. And this is what makes the lipid resist the oxidative stress, and at the same time, still participate in all the normal properties uh, that, the, that the lipid has to. So you digest it, 
goes through your system and your body as part of its normal process of rebuilding lipid layers will incorporate the deuterated version of the lipid into the cell walls, into the mitochondrial membrane. And that is the, how the phenomenon works. And we've done many experiments previously on uh, various cells, uh, animal tissues, even cells taken from Friedrich's patients and observe how this form of lipid is incorporated into the tissues and resists oxidative stress. Is delivery to the damaged cells at all an issue and, and can it cross the blood-brain barrier? So, so that's the beauty of using a natural lipid mimetic. You need several grams of the parent non-deuterated fat uh, that is our drug to um, uh, simply maintain this process. So it's got expedited and facilitated transfer into all the tissues where it needs to go in order to do this. So we actually are able to hijack that process, the substitution of a hydrogen for a, uh, with the deuterium is simply a matter of adding a neutron to one of the nuclei of the hydrogen and making it deuterium, and that doesn't change any of the fundamental machinery that causes that fat to be distributed everywhere it needs to be. So it's got, in some ways, it's got a paved highway into the brain. But it needs to be metabolized, and part of the beauty is because it is a neutron that is added, it still participates, and we've actually observed this in animal studies and recently in our phase one trial, that the body metabolizes it normally into what is called arachidonic acid, and it's the, the arachidonic acid which gets through the, the uh, blood-brain barrier and into the neural systems in the brain. Yeah. So very confident that it does participate in all the normal metabolic processes and thus will make it to the brain. Last August, you started your early stage study. This was for safety and tolerability, as well as to look at the pharmacokinetics. Is this completed, and what have you learned? So um, we learned, surprise, surprise, that adding a little fat to the diet doesn't hurt anybody. So uh, it is quite safe. Uh, we had, uh, uh, and we we did accelerate going to fairly high doses of uh, many grams per day, uh, which again, I always joke that we're competing here with the buffet table. So grams per day are what you need to overwhelm whatever of the normal fat might be in your diet. Uh, the, so yes, we achieved safety. Tolerability was good. And, uh, we learned the PK of the drug was exactly the same as what we would expect of the, the normal fat. It was a successful trial. And uh, we also started to garner little bits and pieces of efficacy measures that will help us look at dose and design, you know, the next set of trials so that we can uh, ensure that we have the, the right size and type trial with the right endpoints to, uh, to move forward. Why begin with Friedrich's ataxia? Well, it, it goes back to a mechanistic match. We knew that the only thing at deuterium in the specific place we put it 
can affect is an abstraction of the hydrogen at that position, which is the lipid peroxidation mechanism. Iron mismanagement is uh, rampant in Friedrichs, such that there's iron on the inner surface of free iron on the inner surface of the mitochondria, which is a very potent catalyst for this. Uh, it was a combination of that plus the orphan status, plus an incredible group called the Friedrichs Attack to Your Research Alliance, which is an advocates group for this uh, disease, typically oversubscribes trials in these rare diseases in a matter of hours, and um, really pushed us very hard and helped us all along the way. When we first went, decided on this disease and went to the FDA to discuss the trial, there was one person there from our company, and there were two or three people there representing the Friedrich's ataxia of patients. That's the way it should be. How important has that relationship been in advancing the work? Extremely important. I think that uh, uh, Farah is a wonderful example of how a patient's organization could work in providing information to patients, education to patients. Uh, it has actually supported the trial in the sense of providing funding for the travel of some of the patients to go to the two centers, one in Florida, one in California, where our trial took place. So I'd say they, in our case, were quite critical. Retrotope is an independent startup company. The research uh, has been going on for almost 10 years uh, prior to going into our first human trials. And uh, we are not uh, yet partnered with the large pharma. So getting support from Farah and, and uh, other types of organizations like that is invaluable uh, in moving this agenda forward. There was also one additional component that that group had invested over 10 years in developing a natural history study. So, you know, exactly how these patients behave over, you know, a 10-year period of progression of the disease is very well characterized. What's the path forward for the therapy? Is it going through a, a phase two and then a phase three, or is there a, a shortened pathway? Well, I guess with these rare, untreated, fatal diseases that are orphan diseases, that always involves a discussion with the, with the FDA. And the agency is quite practical when it comes to recognizing these patients have no other option. So we uh, are looking at all of the type of designations, fast track, breakthrough, uh, again, because of the completely new mechanism of action. Uh, we are looking at doing a single uh, phase two, three is our next trial, um, which if we gain enough of the information we need from this trial, we ought to be able to power and design. And FDA often will even let you do a trial and then let you morph it into a registration trial for this type of disease. Uh, if you find uh, good data. So it, it's really uh, what's beautiful about the orphan process is it really is a discussion with an FDA that is very helpful. Let me say a word or two just about the timing of when we're having this conversation. Uh, literally, our last patient has finished with the trial within last the last two weeks. So we are still in the process of analyzing the data collected uh, from our patients, we have a total of 18 patients, uh, nine at one dose, nine at uh, 
somewhat higher dose, uh, and this was a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. We actually had a total of six patients that actually were taking low dose, six patients at a high dose, and six patients who took non-deuterated uh, polyunsaturated fat in lieu of the actual drug compound. So we're now uh, waiting uh, to get some of the biochemical analysis of blood samples, etc. And uh, once we've analyzed that, and then as Bob said, we'll be in a position to meet with the FDA and discuss alternatives uh, about how to move forward. Clearly our desire, given Friedrichs, given the untreated nature of that, is to move as rapidly forward as possible and are optimistic that we'll be able to find a rapid path toward a registration. You're looking at a much broader set of diseases that you believe the same breakdown of the mitochondria is involved in. Do you expect to learn about these other diseases through your work in Friedrich's ataxia? Uh, well, we, we do and we don't. These other diseases involve other types of stressors, not iron. Uh, there are other types of toxins. There are other types of gene aberrations that occur in different types of tissue, in different sort of array of tissues. So the good, well, I don't want to say the good news. The news is that those all involve loss of mitochondrial function in a mechanism similar to the toxicity that we see in Friedrich's ataxia. The way I view this is cells, when they have a toxic insult, whether it be, you know, synuclein in Parkinson's, you know, amyloids in, in Alzheimer's or iron in Friedrich's, uh, and by the way, some iron is also mismanaged a little bit in Alzheimer's. It, the cell doesn't really have a repertoire of things it can do about that. And one of the things that happens is this lipid peroxidation cycle uh, is started. Uh, and that's quite a common process. So, um, yes, we have date, preclinical data in all of those things. Um, they uh, are somewhat uh, convincing that we ought to be looking at human data there, but we are for now a Friedrich company. Let, let me add the, the following. You know, I think that it's certainly the case that the mechanism of our drug is not narrowly specific to just Friedrich's and the mismanage and its particular genetic defect. So it's certainly true that this will work, if it works for Friedrich's, will work for other, some other mitochondrial diseases. But as Bob points out, exactly which ones it will work for and which ones it might not work for is the challenge that we face going forward is the target. Prerix is the reason we chose it was it seems like such a good match to the me me mechanism of action of our compound. But I believe surely there are other mitochondrial dysfunctions that we will be effective in. And is the expectation you'll be able to use the same drug for these other diseases? We're looking at that. Um, depends on the disease. We think that there are other forms of our drug which may be more amenable, for example, in going directly into the brain, and we may be able to uh, create uh, those forms. We're looking right now at our ability to manufacture things that don't require the metabolic step. So in the case of Friedrich, since it's a whole body disease, it makes perfect sense. Again, this is the perfect match 
They use a compound which goes throughout the body in all the mitochondrial membranes, in the heart, in the muscles, and as well into the brain. On the other hand, other diseases, which are primarily brain-based uh, uh, neurological damage, uh, then other formulations might be uh, better suited. At this point, do you expect to commercialize the drug on your own, or are you going to be seeking a partner? So uh, we are in discussions to seek partnering, and you know that really takes a little bit of the nature of the partner and their interests. I mean, some are interested specifically in orphan diseases and would want to, you know, take our orphan indication, start expanding it to other orphans. Uh, mitochondrial myopathies are a very good next choice because that is directly related to uh, this mechanism of action. Uh, others are, you know, some of the very large pharmas might only be interested in, you know, very big diseases, which would, again, require development probably of uh, drugs that are, uh, you know, in the same platform, but, but different drugs and, uh, and moving those forward. So we're quite flexible. We're a, a virtual pharma so that we only have about, you know, less than 10 people here in the company. All of our work, all of our manufacturing, everything in terms of research is done, uh, with, uh, partners, collaborators, and vendors. So we're quite flexible in terms of how we structure partnering going forward. Harry Saul, Chairman of Retrotope, and Bob Molinari, CEO of Retrotope, thank you both for your time today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.